I was on vacation actually um, a week ago, and it was awesome to get some time away with my kids. And one of the things we got to do is there was a wedding uh, and for a family member of ours that we got to go to. Anybody gone to a wedding at the Mission Inn? Been able to enjoy one of those? Beautiful. It, it's fun. And the seats are horrible. You notice that if you sit down in any of these wooden seats. So my wife and I knew we don't want to end up in one of those horrible, upright, awkward seats with the head sticking into your, the face of whatever it is carved into the carved into the seat, sticking into the back of your head. So we were like, we got to get there on time. Got ourselves ready. 45 minutes to drive from our house to Sycamore Creek down to the Mission Inn. Looked like it was going to be beautiful until we opened up the Apple Maps and found out, oh no, it was going to be 50 some odd minutes because God has graced Corona with a spirit-changing, transformative, character-building thing called the 15 Freeway right now, right? And for some reason, the county decided, yeah, and we're going to mess up Temescal Canyon and every other artery around it. So we find ourselves going, how in the world are we going to get there on time? And I'm driving, so I say, you know what? This is how we're going to get there on time, side streets. And so I'm going down every side street I can think of, having lived here all of my life, and I'm using every stop sign as a yield sign and going maybe a smidge over smidge over the, um, the, the speed limit. And God punished me. We came to Cahalco and we stopped, dead stop right there. And I thought, God, you're teaching me not to break the laws. So I'll go right on Cahalco and you turn where I can't and then go right again. And so I did that to get around that mess, came up here, went around the back here of El Cerrito and came out and finally got on the freeway, which was flowing fine by that point. Get on the freeway, drive our ways down to the 91 transition, and I'm like freaking out, like we gotta go, go, go. We just lost time trying to do the back streets. This isn't working. And so I don't merge into the long line that goes onto the 91 freeway both directions. I go down this, you know, the faster side far enough to where it's still legal. And probably the only legal move I made was to pull transition into that lane and then go off on. But when I did that one legal move, the lady behind me didn't like it that I pulled in front of her, honks at me and goes like this, gives me the, this finger, not the other finger, but the, the wagging finger. Like she was mad. I had just done a legal merger in front of her and then got out of her way and went on. And I was thinking, why is she so mad? This was fine. I didn't do anything wrong. And then it dawns on me that, oh my goodness, this is bad. I've been driving this whole time with the Olive Branch bumper sticker on my back. This is, the pastor is giving bad press to the church. And make matters even worse, we do get there. We get there about 10 minutes early. We get out, we find everybody. We're about, we're like, okay. And we walk up to the chapel doors and they're like, oh yeah, no, it actually starts at 3.30. They said three, so people would get here early. And I'm like, what? All that hurrying, all that rushing and it didn't even matter. You ever been there? You're rushing from one thing to the next. Have you gotten into that pattern where you rush to that one thing and you're just checking your clock because you've got to rush to the next thing you're all, and you don't have any time to, to spend there? All of us are connected into this frenetic, busy, hurried life. In fact, we have a staff member who says, you know what, if one more person says I'm busy, I'm going to scream because everybody is constantly busy. And busyness is one of those things that if not caught and noticed can turn into something I, I like to call the hurried life, the hurried soul. In fact, there have been many pastors over the years who've talked about the hurried soul. And it's a soul that can't rest. It can't settle. It can't stop. 
It's looking to the next thing. It's those of you who right now are, are considering what, what is wrong with this guy. The sermon is already too long. I need to go home and I need to get some things done. And, and you're already thinking about something else. You sit down to spend time with God and your mind is on the meeting that's coming. Your mind is on that, that school function or the fact you forgot your homework and now you got to do whatever you find in your life that's pushing you, pushing you. That's the hurried soul. And it will destroy your spiritual life. It will destroy you spiritually in more ways than you can imagine. And so I want to warn us this morning about this hurried, frenetic life that we're living. And in fact, I want to just kind of point it out that the hurried soul is something we deal with. And it begins with busyness. So if you're going to indicate that you might be in the hurried soul or hurried life situation, you want to check yourself. Are you busy? But before, before we say that busyness is bad, I want to actually tell you, as an examination of the scriptures, you're not going to find the word busy very often. And when you do, you're find, you'll find that it often, and most actually it always, is stating it as a good thing. Guys, it's good to be busy. We know this. How many times do our children walk up to us and say these, these you know, emboldened words? I'm bored! And what do we tell our children? Go find something to do. Think of something to do. And then all of us adults who are just grown-up children, we don't yell, I'm bored. We yell, I'm busy. And what do we all tell ourselves? Well, stop doing everything. And so it's weird. We think it's busy or boredom. Busy or boredom. It's actually not that. Scripture indicates it's either you're busy about the right things or you're lazy. And that isn't to force us into busyness. It's to say that busyness is good when it's about our lives, doing the appropriate things, making, earning a living for our family, caring about our kids, spending time with God. Yes, you're going to be busy. Proverbs puts it this way. The soul of the sluggard, the lazy person, craves and gets nothing. All they do is just want to eat, but they never eat anything. While the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. If you work hard and you work well, you'll discover that, hey, yes, indeed, you'll have the supplies that you need for life. That busyness isn't bad. Being overly busy, however, is a problem. We can become so busy that there is no time for anything else. And what happens is we don't cease being busy. We become what I like to call distracted. The hurried soul actually births from this over-busyness where you and I are distracted. And you can find Jesus talking about this distracted mindset in the book of Matthew, chapter 6. So grab your Bible, open it up to chapter 6 of the book of Matthew, first book in the New Testament, and you will find in verse 25 that Jesus begins to have this conversation. If you don't have a Bible, that's cool. You can open one on the app or you can uh, join us right here um, and I'll have it up on the screen. But I want you to see what Jesus says about this busyness and this distractedness that can come into our lives. He tells us, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more, val uh, more value than they? And which of you, being, by being anxious, can, can add a single hour to your life? In the gym, at your vitamin shop, whatever. How can you add a, you can't. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that Solomon, in all his glory, 
was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. You're going, Greg, where's the distracted life? I don't see it in here. The word distracted is found here. See that word anxious. It shows up a bunch of times. Don't be anxious about this. Don't be anxious about that. That word anxiety didn't really exist until the 1900s. It's a psychological term that was invented in psychology to to explain what Jesus is getting at here. In fact, if you have a King James version, it says, don't even give a thought to your life. That's a weird translation. But what they're wrestling with is a Greek word, which means to be of two minds, to have double focus. Another way to say this is something we all know really well if you work in the business world. It's called multitasking. Anybody ever tried to multitask at work or, or in your life? Um, you can't do it. The more things you try to multitask, the less you get done. You ever noticed that? Because you think, I'm getting all this stuff done, but you're never doing anything well, and you're never actually complete, completing them in time because you've got too many focuses. And Jesus is saying, why are you so double-minded about your life? Why are you focused on one side here about this, and then anxious over here you're stressed out about this situation, and you, you know, you're thinking about work tomorrow, and this is called being distracted. You're multitasking. And Jesus is pointing out that what we're doing is we're multitasking God. We're distracted about him. He's saying, why are you worried about your life and all these other pieces and where you're going to get clothing and how you're going to eat and all this fearful things that the poor that he was speaking to would be upset about? He says, no, you're being distracted. And what we do is we open God as an app and we, we talk to him here and there and we close him and then we get back to all the other things we're doing. And sometimes we open God as an app and we just switch because we're too busy. And we're like, okay, good. I got to talk to God. No, I go back to this app and I'm going to talk to God. I'll talk to God later. I'll pull him back up later. And we, put, we treat God like an app, a multitasked piece within our lives. So we open and close and move in and out. And Jesus is going, that's not how you live. That's a distracted relationship. That's a double-minded relationship. Now, I understand distracted relationships. I'm a guy who struggles with ADD. And what's interesting when you get into that is that when I'm talking to you, I'll be out there during the service, and I'll be conversing with some of you. And I'm talking to you, and suddenly something moves in the background. I'm like, yeah, yeah, huh? I'm, I'm, I'm the squirrel man, you know? It's like, squirrel, oh. And I'm like, oh, what did you say? What was your name? Oh, I totally wasn't listening, focusing. That's not good. In fact, you'll discover that you have people like that even if they don't have ADD because we have great things that create ADD. It's called phones. You've got the Apple Watch. I mean, how many times have I been sitting across from somebody who's got an Apple Watch and I'm talking to them, we're having this great conversation and then suddenly they're just like, I'm like, what? you got somewhere? Oh, no, no, man, I just got a text message just making sure. Uh, have Have you seen this? You're talking to your friend and they're like, hold on a second. They pause you. You don't have a pause button. But they're willing. There's like, blah, blah, blah. This person's texting me. It's urgent. And then some of you yell at me for not texting you back immediately. Come on, guys. You're a phone when you're texting me. The people in front of us are people. And guarantee you, you will not keep up a distracted relationship. If somebody is constantly distracted when they're near you, you don't go like, I want to hang out with that guy. And yet we distract ourselves from God all the time. 
You're sitting in your quiet time. You're sitting with God in your study. You're at church and you're thinking about the next thing. What do I got to get to? What time is it? Oh, well, I better, oh, somebody just gave me a text right now. Some of you guys just got a text or, 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 or an email or something. And you're kind of fighting that feeling to look at it because you're like, I need to focus on, on the message. This is a distracted world. And if we have distracted relationships, they fall apart. In fact, what they're discovering, and they just came out with a study last week, huge study done of, of the generation that has grown up. They're calling them the iGen, with screens in their hands from their adolescence. And the mental state of this group of people is considerably dangerous. All circulating around the issue of loneliness. All of them indicate they are lonely, lonely Lonely because they sit, they don't know how to build relationships because they sit with a screen in their room. And there are psychologists who are freaking out about what they're seeing in this young generation because we can't build relationships when we're distracted. You can't build a relationship with God, Jesus says, when you're distracted. And the hurried life goes from being busy to being distracted, and it gets even worse because when you're the things that you're distracted about become the very things that are of importance, you enter the hurried life. You see, study the scriptures, and you'll find the word hurry doesn't show up too much in the ESV. It says with haste because um, it likes that old English just kind of sound. But if you pick up like an NLT or some New Living Translation, you'll read hurry. Every single time, somebody is hurrying to something important. A queen is hurrying to the temple because she's about to lose her, her kingdom. And, you know, it's, people are hurrying to see Jesus because they need him to heal somebody. They're hurrying to things that are extremely important in their life. And when everything in the busy life becomes important because it's on a time clock or a schedule, you will be distracted and busy and you have entered the hurry life because nothing escapes the importance level. Everything's important. Everything's got to be the wedding that I got to get to. And so that's the hurried life. And the danger is when everything else is important, things fall off. And I guarantee you, one of the things that often falls off the fastest is your time with God. It'll vanish. It happened to Israel. In fact, in a, in a verse that's found um, in a prophet that is not really uh, read much named Haggai, poor guy's name, but his, his, Haggai has this interesting thing. They've just rebuilt Jerusalem's wall. They've all moved back into Jerusalem. There's this contingency of this remnant that survived, and they've, they have these homes now, but they're planting their crops, and nothing's working. It's all failing. They're going, God, we thought you were going to bless us. We came back. What's going on? And Haggai comes out and says, here's what's going on. Let me show you. In chapter 1, verse 9 Haggai, of Haggai, it reads this. It says, Guy, you looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Jesus says, don't be worried about your life, what you wear, what you eat, what you do. But he, and, and Haggai says, you know what? Don't expect blessing if you're so busy building your life that you've neglected the house of God. And so we're going to take up an offering to improve the building. Not That's not what I'm doing here. The house of God's not the buildings. The house of God is you. You are called the temple of God. Specifically, you all as Christians. 
Those of you who know Christ, he dwells in you, his spirit dwells in you, and makes you the temple of God, the house of God. If we neglect his church, the temple of God, and we neglect the time with God and what it means to walk with him, you should not expect spiritual blessing in your life. You should not expect the healthy, good life that God has given to us to come through Jesus Christ because guess what? We are neglecting the most important thing. We have found ourselves hurried and you'll find yourself in need because we're stretched thin and we don't have time to build the spiritual house. Now, so what's the solution in all this? And thank God, he knew the solution. Thank God he gave it to us in the scriptures before any of us got so busy, before this world got so crazy. He had already provided us that answer. Look back again in Matthew chapter 6. Go on to verse 33. We stopped at verse 32. But he says this. He says the solution first is to have the right focus on God. Here it is. Matthew chapter 6 verse 33. He says, Hey, look, God knows what you need, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, all this stuff you're worried about is going to be added to you. It'll be provided to you by God. And so, hey, don't freak out. God provides it for you. Therefore, don't be of two minds about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. It's going to have its own distractions. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He says, have a focus on today and have that focus on God. You see, God's not the app you open and close in your life, right? God is the operating system of our lives. I want you to hear it this way. You can open and close all kinds of apps, but it's the operating system that makes those apps work. You open the app of your work and you go to work because God sent you to work. He has a reason for you to do what you're doing. He has a calling for you to make more of your work than just to make a paycheck. He has a vocation for you because he's the operating system that's offered you that opportunity. You're, the street that you live on is available to you to do, be greater than just simply a place to live. Because he's open, he's the operating system that gives meaning to that very street that you dwell on, the neighbors that you have. He's the operating system for the app of your children, of your family, and he gives meaning and reason for those things to exist. That's what it means to put God first in priority. Not just first in your day, but he becomes the very reasoning behind what we do and how we do what we do. And when we get that, we've placed his kingdom, his rule, is another way to read that, his reign in our lives over all things. And he says, that's what we seek. That's what we focus on, intentionally focus on. You say, Greg, that's great. I would love to have that. I would love to have a focused time with God. I would love to have a focused opportunity where I'm thinking about God during my day. But, and, he's, and he's explaining things. But, but I don't have time for this. I'm too busy to deal with my busyness. You been there? So let's take this time where we're not busy for a minute and not hurry through this and deal with that with the second thing. You see, God is so good. Way before there was cars and trains, Internet and phones, you know, watches and all that stuff that can be out there to cause the distractions and the busyness and the craziness. Before any of this happened, he knew we would need this. And so he gave us a command, a commandment that many of us have just dropped out of the great Ten Commandments. And he says part of the solution is that we need a Sabbath. 
Guys, we need a Sabbath. God knew that we would be prone to being too busy. Then when we became too busy, we become so distracted and so hurried, we couldn't ever put God in. We would just, he would just vanish because we'd be all about ourselves. And he says, no, 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 time out. You need an intentional time period in which you focus on God. You need to take a break and have a focus called a Sabbath. Now it lays out like this in the 10 commandments. This is, this is the command in Exodus chapter 20. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I find it fascinating that he says, remember, because I think a lot of us forgot that there was this thing called a Sabbath. He says, remember it and keep it. Both remember that it happens and keep it. Guys, God wants you to take a break. This should be like the greatest thing we preach everywhere. You know, everybody would want to be a part of Christianity. God says I get a whole day off. An entire day. Six days you labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, you do not do any work you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or, this is an odd one, the sojourner who is within your gates, the guy who's visiting your town. He can't leave. He's stuck for another day. That, that, that's, that's a guy who comes into town. He doesn't belong there. It's the Sabbath. Guess what he gets to do? Stay, sit, and hang. Because the Sabbath is something God intended for everybody, not just the Jewish people. See, he says, this is my reason. In six days, the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. He says, hey, look, my work week, is, my work week was six days and I rested one. You made my image. You need to work six days and rest one. Get your labor done in six days and take a break. And his point in all of this is that we need intentional, focused, spiritual time. Because in that ancient culture, it wasn't just you stopped and you hung out and watched television. There was no television. You didn't open up your scrolls and read your latest awesome series that has come out. You didn't have that opportunity without the printing press. No, what you did in a, in a small town, in a village, in which you lived, because you couldn't travel on the Sabbath as you sat in your home after all the food had been made and you had a giant potluck and you gathered together with everybody in your village and you hung out together and you talked about the Lord. You talked about his word. Probably somebody read the scrolls. They had conversations about life. They supported each other. They cared about each other. They were in each other's business on purpose on a Sabbath because guess what? There wasn't anything really else to do but to get to know people. And to be together in community. Wouldn't that be awesome? And you took a whole day off. And we gathered together with people who were like-minded about Jesus. And we got to get together and hang out together for like, I don't know, like a couple hours or something. And just hang with each other and eat some food and talk and, and enjoy Jesus. Wouldn't that be an awesome invention? We should do that. Wait, we're doing that right now. It's called church. What we're participating right now is intentional pause in our lives. This should be longer than an hour and 10 minutes. So we're going to extend our services now to 40 hours. And I'm just kidding. But why not extend it in your own way? Some of you love church. I love it. And why don't we extend it our own ways? Come, you know, why don't we rush to God instead of rushing to the next thing? Why don't we get up and go, we got to get here. We got to be with the people because we want to gather together and hang out so early, you know, hang out in the court, fill it up, find some parking spots, fill the streets, whatever it takes, but we're hanging out. 
You're bringing food. You're talking to your small group. You're meeting each other here. You're not rushing out to the next thing when you leave, but you stick around for 15 minutes. What a church where, you know, some of your gifts by God can't actually be used in a short amount of time. It takes time to use the gift of care and faith and hospitality. Those things don't happen in little blocks. And so when we serve each other and we care about each other, these things happen with time. And we gather together and we care about each other. We serve each other. We know each other. We are praying for each other. We're just not like, oh, pray for you later. You know, we actually do pray for each other right there. What a picture of what a church is supposed to be just based on the fact that we hold to a Sabbath, a break in the craziness of life. I mean, pull this one on some of your coaches one day this year. Where you know you got church and you can't figure it out, so you're going to go to the one service you can make it, and you come all the way to the end and you spend 10 minutes and you're late to practice. And they're like, your kid's running, you're always late. And you say, I'm sorry we're late, but church is more important than the practice. What would you tell your kid? Right there at that sentence to his coach. But when you say, you know, we got to get out of here because we got to be on time for practice, what are you telling your child about what church means to your, compared to the activities of life? Are we training our children to be hurried? To be the opposite of what Jesus called us to do? Because he says we need to focus on God. And that's our main focus, and we need an intentional time. And we can't just rush that. We can't just hurry through that and turn it into the next thing. No, it's got to be something we sit in. It's got to be something we live in. And that's why we do this spiritual growth campaign every year. It's intentional time to refocus our need in the midst of a busy world. We say, guys, we're going to focus as a church for six weeks, and we're going to do it intentionally. You should be here every Sunday, and we're going to give you opportunities to meet in the midweek as well. And so we launch our spiritual growth campaign this year called Labeled. This is an in-house curriculum. We didn't buy it. We put it together. This is our church, our focus, what we want to do. And what we really believe is that many of us in our church are walking around with labels you shouldn't be carrying things that have been told to you by somebody else, other issues that you picked up because you went to public school or private school or homeschooled and you got other people telling you what you are or maybe you just grew up at work and you've been told certain things that are going on. Look, we all wear labels and they all shape our lives. We just need to wear the right ones. And we want to focus on the labels that God has given us. And as we dive into this six-week conversation, it is literally a conversation because you jump into a group. And in that group, in the midweek, there's a second sermon, a second message that you guys are able to dig into and look at together as you talk about Sundays and on that midweek spot. And it's intended to give you two intentional moments so that you can begin to focus on God in a community. Not alone. We want to build the house of God, the brothers and sisters of Christ. And when that happens, you get a couple awesome things. First of all, you get what Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says. He says, you get stirred up to love and good deeds. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He's saying, get together. Don't miss, because you're going to encourage each other. You're going to point each other. You see, when I do my quiet time, and I spend time by myself, it's not as powerful than when I sit with a group of people who then poke me in the chest and say, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to live that out? What did you do last week when we talked about this? What did we do? And when there's accountability and encouragement to spur us, to push us, to move us forward, we grow. And you always grow faster and stronger in a community than when you grow by yourself. 
And so it's powerful to have this community because it begins to have the word of God show up in all of you. Colossians 3.16 puts it this way. Let the word of Christ dwell in you all, not just you, you all richly, all of us together. That's a plural you in the Greek. Teaching and admonishing one another, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. And some of you guys are going, I ain't singing nothing. But okay, just say them then. Say the lyrics to each other. That's fine. But we encourage each other. We're praying with each other. We're building each other up. We're, we're encouraging each other with the word of God. That's what goes on in a group and on Sunday. And that's the intent to do this spiritual focus together on this idea of identity. And guess what? A community is powerful because a community shapes your identity. The communities you select to hang with affect you. They affect the music choices you make, the way that you dress, the kinds of things you engage in. A community is a powerful shaping agent. That's why we want to encourage you guys to get engaged in communities that are like-minded about Jesus Christ. And when we do that together, we all grow together, encouraging each other forward and building this up. Now, if you're interested in joining a small group and you're like, I'd love to, but you're a guy and you're saying, but I don't want to open my soul up to anybody. Nobody needs to know what happened to me when I was in the fourth grade. I'm not going to share it. That's fine. You don't have to. You're not getting together to talk about you. You're getting together to talk about God. Yeah, that'll include a little bit about what he's doing in your soul, Share it, don't share it, but God's going to work on you and you're there to talk about him. We're here to talk about Christ and to live it out and to share it with others. And what we want to do then is encourage you, don't, just, just don't, don't take yourself out of small groups because you're afraid to share or you're an introvert. Just don't do that. Just go, sit. I mean, if it's a whole group, there's going to be an extrovert in one of those groups. Let them talk. If it's all introverts, just stare at each other. Actually, I find introverts go deeper anyway, and you'll, get, you'll end up with great conversations. Don't check yourself out because you think you're not going to enjoy it. And some of you guys are going, I would love to be in a group. Good. Then if that's you, step out these doors. Everybody look back, to your, back here in this direction, the corner. See that exit sign? That door will be open. Go out that door. Heads out to our patio where our small group leaders are waiting, excited to invite you into their groups. You'll have a day, a time, or an age group that you'll connect with. Join that group. Jump into it. Let God do something. It's going to be on a night or a time that you can commit to. Awesome. And then some of you are going to say, my schedule does not, is so busy, I can't commit to a night. I'm all over the place. Some of you are police officers, firemen. Some of you work in the medical industry. Some of your times are so radically all over the place because you work in the car industry or whatever. You can't fix a time. Okay, well, we have a solution for you on that. And that's called one of our packages. Just start your own group. And start it with a group of people that you know understand your time. And why we say that is because this little group starter kit is for you with your friends. You hang out with somebody consistently. And you may not be able to hang out with them weekly, but maybe every other week. Or maybe there's a situation which you can start it at, group, at your work. There's a one lady here who started a group last year. And now she's like, it's not working for me this year. So I'm going to start one at my, at my, at my, at my work. And that's an opportunity for them to connect in and develop a group at work. There was a man in another state who started a small group and from their church when they were doing a campaign, he started on the train. Anybody drive, ride the train? He started on the train, opened up his laptop, played it because he's like, I'm not doing anything else. Got a few other Christians who were also commuting on the train to join him. Eventually half the train was watching the small group thing and having conversations and it turned into a small group. 
Don't think you don't have time. There is somewhere in your life that you could find an opportunity at your work or with a group of friends you're already meeting with for a consistent time period, maybe every other week and maybe once a month, but a time where you can actually gather as a group. And we want to offer you this opportunity. So that's you and you're saying, yeah, I want to do something. I don't know how. I'm going to give it a shot. Maybe it's only with your family. Cool. Do it with your family. Do it with your teenagers. Do it with your kids. Do it with your spouse. Maybe invite a cousin over, whatever it is. But you have that opportunity to stick around here at the end of service. We're going to be ending it short so you can meet up with Justin who can give you that information. He'll be standing over in the corner at the end of service so you can jump into that. And so I just want to encourage you guys to get engaged with this. Why? Why, why now? Why should we do this now? Guys, here's why. School started. Do you know what happens when school starts? Ooh, busy goes up. Traffic gets bigger. Sports goes crazy. And then you know what happens after school starts? Holidays. You know, you're going to be running from event to event to event because you got Halloween and Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's and then Easter with, oh, don't forget Martin Luther King Jr. Day and, you know, all the other stuff that's involved. Busy is coming if it's not already here. Now is the time. Now is the moment to insist on a focused spiritual time, intentional Sabbath. I want to encourage you guys, don't leave here today without intentionally, while you can, setting that time apart. Let's do that together as Olive Branch. Will you do that with me? Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity we have to be in your word. God, we pray that you would just infuse in us an opportunity to gather in these groups, to grow in these ways, and to begin to move forward spiritually. Some of us are alone and we're trying to make it work and it's not working. And we need the community. And others of us, Lord, you know, you're, you're just challenging us because we've been delaying what you've been telling us to do. To get intentional with you in the middle of a busy world. Father, I pray that you would help us to put these things into our lives, these times into our lives that are like rocks that all the water flows around and we don't move them. Pray that you would just guide us and enable us to respond to what you've shown us today. In Jesus' name, amen.